Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And on today's show, folks, our fourth interview with Doug Sleeter. How's it going, Ron? Good, Ed. It's not every day we get to resurrect a guest. I know. We're about to have a Lazarus moment here. Uh, I just want to uh, <laughs> let me let me quick read him in. This is ChatGPT in March of 2023. Doug Sleeter was a well-known entrepreneur and thought leader in the accounting industry. He was the founder and former CEO of the Sleeter Group, a company that provided training, consulting, research services to accounting professionals. Sleeter was also co-founder of the Accountex Network, which is also not true, which hosts a conference and trade show. He was a frequent speaker, et cetera, et cetera. Sadly, Doug passed away in November of 2019. <laughs> But the good news is, Doug, before I bring you on, is that I just asked it earlier today, and here's what it has to say about you today, is that Doug is. Doug is. So you are you are back with us. Welcome back to the living, the land of living, my friend. Hello there. <laughs> it's a little, and, it's a little uh, crowded here in this little casket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and our joke was, you know, th this is personal. D Doug, do you remember... Did you tell me that it had you dead or did, did we were talking, cause we have like a, a monthly call and right. did I bring it up to you and say, Oh my God, it has you dead. Like what, what, how did this, how did that start? Well, I got a message from a good friend uh, at the AICPA and it was uh, <laughs> Casey Johnson, whom I think both of you guys know. And uh, she, she, they were playing around, they were in a meeting and they were all playing around with this new AI thing. That's a couple of months ago, which is shows how new it all is. Because uh, they were, it was all new. Anyway, they said, uh, "Who is Doug Sleeter?" <laughs> and that's what they came up with is all this uh, just wrong stuff. And these are called hallucinations. And uh, so they told me that it hallucinated about me. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't and you of think course, that's a funny term, hallucination. Well, yeah, yeah they, you know what it, they it, say. It, 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 but it, it, if you think about it, it's hallucination because that's that's the way that it's best described in our terms, right? It's the machine isn't actually hallucinating, but but we what we uh, anthropomorphize. How about that for a word? Uh, this kind of stuff all the time, right? We we give we give machines, you know, the the, the we'll say that the machine is is uh, hiccuping, right? Um, so we 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 give it these human traits all the time. This is that's not a new thing, really. Yeah, glitch glitch hiccup uh yeah but so and this is my, my biggest issue with all this generally i'm a tech guy you know I, I was at adobe and apple early in my career and every new technology that's ever come out i've been like oh cool and i understand that new technology has bugs initially and you know so the early adopters or the you know the ones who bleed uh, because they're you know the, the the technology cuts them in one way or another um 
but um, my my biggest issue is this is the first time we've ever had technology developed that is convincingly human. It's it's like uh, Kubrick's uh, 2001. That was Kubrick, right? Am I yeah. right about it? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that when he asked him to open the pod doors. This is what, what was so scary about that movie was it was pretending to be human and deciding for itself what was true or was good or what was bad. So we've given too much power. We had in that example, too much power to the, to the thing. Now, we're not doing that yet, but I think it's only a matter of time. Um, and, uh, the, the, so, so I think Ed, you and I were talking, how, how is this different from using calculators in school? Um, because you can use chat GPT to write your paper for you. Um, if you need to have a 600 word essay, you can have it start and then you can change it and make it your own, which is a cool tool. Um, but, um, I'm saying, but no, they, they can't use that to learn in school and all because that would uh, undermine the process of human learning. You know, if you can cheat like that, if you can use this tool to help generate your thoughts on the on the good side there. Well, but that that creates laziness in our own development and learning. Uh, of course, I'm not saying anything new to you, but but on the other hand, um, and, and so you, you brought, but Doug, they allow us to use calculators in, in um, you know, math and even on math tests. Um, well, I think it's fundamentally different because a calculator is clearly a tool used with, um, with the intent to serve a human while tasked to do a specific job for us, which is calculate this hard equation and come up with a precise answer and okay we could argue but i say it never makes a mistake it doesn't hallucinate the answer see so but chat gpt is it doesn't matter what's true or not it just throws junk out there and i just think that's a fundamental it's crossed my line of whether this is good technology or terrible technology uh net net so Anyway, what do you think? <laughs> Ron, jump in. I, hasn't the internet always thrown a bunch of crap at us, including humans? Yeah. Um, and, and the internet, is, I, could, I could say, equally damning things about the internet. And this is where I've, I think I came on last time talking about big, bad data. Um, and this is one of my biggest concerns about the world before AI, but AI just triples it or whatever. Uh, and that is that the internet never allows information to be changed. It can only be amended. And there's no timestamp on, on the information on the internet. So we don't know what happened first or next. And so I guess I should explain what I'm saying. So there could be an article out there from 10 years ago, and it's out there. It was published by some news organization. 
it was incorrect. Uh, it's in the it's it's at least in the Wayback Machine, even if they went and corrected it. So you have this thing where everybody's a publisher. Everybody can just put everything they want on the internet, and and there's no it, it has diluted the concept of truth, and it's created what I call big bad data. So data is one thing. Um, you can say it's it's just data. What's wrong with it? It's just it's just data. Don't worry about it. Well, when data is wrong, whether it was measured wrong, reported wrong, misinterpreted, uh, and reported on in a way that that you know uh, modifies or what's what's the word I'm looking for? It just mischaracterizes data. Mm -hmm. When that happens and it becomes a published thing on the internet, now, now you have garbage, bad data out there. And then the next thing that happens is there's bots out there that are aggregating a lot of this little data, whether it's reports or simply surveys or statistics from the Bureau of Statistics or COVID or, you know, and, and if this little data that all of the measuring points make in the world is then aggregated into big data like those places, um, what you have is a lot of big bad data and it may be really, really wrong. Uh, I think data gets worse when it gets aggregated if it's wrong. If it was a little bit wrong, fine. But then you get a whole bunch of this little wrong aggregated into a big database with, with just incorrect stuff. I think that's, uh, that's a problem. Um, now AI comes along and it says I'm dead. Well, what little data did it find? And the, the truth is, in that case, it didn't find anything because Ed, I think, was able to later uh, correct it. Um, uh, so, so fine, we can correct it. But who's going to bother to correct this AI that is hallucinating on stuff that sounds plausible? Isn't that where, Doug, where human discernment comes in regardless? I mean, when as soon as we had the printing press, you could print lies. You could print quotes that people that, that people didn't say. And we, we, we had we had we had to have human discernment. You had to. Well, I, I know Doug and he's not dead. So I had, had human discernment right, in, yeah. in that moment. Right. Of course, that's the perfect question. I mean, but the problem is learning. Um, so you're in middle school and you're supposed to learn how to write papers and and critical thinking skills are developed at those ages in the you know elementary middle school um that time in your life where uh, there is no cheating there is well there there is the development of your mind to be a critical thinker um so you're saying well human discernment well i think we learn to discern in the process of learning language and books and history and all sorts of things. So, and I think that's going to be taken away because there's too many crutches, like using it to write your paper for you. Well, that's fine. I, I mean, like you and I, we could use it as a tool to do that. And we know it's wrong and we're discerning because we're, we, luckily we grew up before this. So we had to learn. I'm just worried about my grandkid who's going to go through school and never really having to do anything. Um, and if you want to, if you want to tell it or compare it to uh, calculators and math, I think it's similar. I think we've gotten lazier with math. I certainly have. Um, so even though I had to learn it before calculators, 
I, uh, I certainly got lazier uh, once calculators were in my life compared to what I, I used to do. Uh, and I, I think the lazy mind is a real danger in the future. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just it doesn't seem to to affect me because what you've done is you've cleared your mind for other things. You don't have to worry about making the mathematical stuff. You can think about other things and the numbers are going to be right for you because the spreadsheet is going to get it right. So you can do better job at analysis. But here's the thing. Unless unless there's still primary learning going on, you're not going to be capable of prompting ChatGPT to give you anything. <laughs> so you, you, you've got you got to have some basic human discernment to be able to create the prompt in the first place, and that's the act of creativity that I think is important. And I think that that and we can I'd love to have your thoughts on this. Maybe we can talk about it the next segment with with Ron. Um, is this notion that you know humans are the ones that are still adding the creative element to this? ChatGPT did not create you being dead. It 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 made a mistake from a calculation, right? I mean, it, it, well, I was joking that it's personal. It's not personal. It didn't know you. It doesn't not, know yeah. you. It doesn't know. It doesn't know that it know thinks you're dead, right? <laughs> it's, right. <laughs> It but, doesn't even but, know what dead is. That's right. It doesn't understand what the concept of dead is. It's just right. the, 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 it was the word choice that came up in the decision tree. Right. And clearly the decision tree went askew. <laughs> it's, it's like Watson didn't know it won Jeopardy. Right, right. So, but anyway, we are up against our break. I want to remind those of you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, you can get show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows on thesoulofenterprise.com. We do have our Patreon channel available out there. So patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can listen to our show commercial free, as well as our bonus episodes. We'd also invite you to rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise 
Welcome back, everybody. We're here with our fourth interview with Doug Sleater. And Doug, you wrote us an email after Ed and I talked about this on one show. And you said um, you think this will create a whole bunch of problems for us humans, this chat GPT, because this time it is different. When you say a whole bunch of problems, such as, give me, give me some examples. Besides claiming you were gone. <laughs> Actually, that isn't a problem. Well, I suppose the hallucination problem is the problem because what it's doing is it's creating more. We talked in the last segment about big, bad data a little bit. Um, these hallucinations actually are creating more data that someone is going to report on or record or record into some ledger somewhere, whatever form it takes. So um, how can this be good? Um, because the internet or any of these reference tools, the library behind you, all those books you have, uh, they're, they're great reference tools. And so we use reference tools to either learn or validate or create ideas in our heads uh, uh, that we can use to then, oh, with our critical thinking skills, develop new ideas. So when it's just full of just gibberish, well, actually, maybe it's not gibberish because it sounds so convincingly human and it's just wrong. I just can't see how that's good for anybody. But it does do some things right. I mean, it programs, it can answer accounting mm -hmm. questions, tax questions, it passed the bar. I mean, it gets some stuff. So how do you discern, like Ed was talking about, I mean, it's still going to require human judgment. It needs an oracle outside of itself, right? Just like or, any system. Yes, agreed. Um, interesting. I, I just saw this article that came up on uh, the, it, it cannot pass uh, accounting right. tests. It, it bombed out on the accounting. And, and, and that was like a college test. It wasn't a CPA exam. Right. So that's interesting that it can do the bar, but it can't do the accounting tests. And I, <laughs> suppose when you dig in, you'll find out what about it it missed. Well, no, that's good, Doug, because it will replace the lawyers, but not the accountants. <laughs> that's, right. that's okay by me. That's fine with you. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I, um, so back to your question, though, as it, it does do some things right, and it can accelerate our writing of a paper or a um, friend of mine is an, a CEO of a company and needed to do a two-year strategic plan. And he's under the time pressure to get to his board. And so he just tried. He says, okay, I tell you what. He, he fed a whole bunch of highly, very specific questions to JetCPT with specific goals that it, he set for it to help him go, you know, create a two-year plan, maintaining margins at a certain rate in this particular industry with this kind of product, uh, given competitive advantage or competitive scenarios. And it really wrote for him what he thought was just awesome. So he had this paper of whatever, 600, I don't know, it's a thousand words. He didn't tell me how long, but then all he had to do was read something. And you and I know because we write a lot, it's so much easier to edit something than to do the blinking cursor writing that uh, Joe Woodard and I used to <laughs> talk about when we were writing some of these early books at the Sleater Group was like, 
the blinking cursor writing is way harder than editing somebody's pre-done stuff. Right, right. Um, well, you know, I, Peggy Noonan says we need a pause on this. Something bad's going to happen, I guess, you know, in the e bit the apple sense. Um, yep. I, I play out some of the bad scenarios. I, I can think of deep fakes, right? Yep. You get a Facebook or a FaceTime message and your loved one's been kidnapped and they've got, you know, their voice saying, yeah, please, Doug, daddy, bring me back, you know, whatever. I can see deep fakes. I can see killer drones, killer robots, maybe. Yeah. Possibly go to war scenarios where, you know, you could publish, hey, uh, Russia's been invaded by Ukraine or something. I mean, but beyond that, what else is beyond that? Well, I think the next... Uh, venue, if you will, or or whatever. The other big concern is not so much what it will deep fake, because you've already talked about that. I completely agree. But what about the reaction to it? Just as I'm having this reaction, um, so is our government. And the government is framing up the Chuck Schumer is creating a new framework to foster AI development while uh, mitigating its biz- biggest risks. Oh my goodness. And, and Elon <laughs> Musk is all about, oh, we got to regulate this, which, okay, I, I really like Elon and I think he's probably right, but it just scares me to death. What? Oh, as soon as you put the government involved, you think this is going to get better? Uh, right. and, and, and so these are reactive issues uh, like I'm having, um, I, I'm really balanced about it, even though I'm uh, most of my conversation about it is the bad side, because I think that's where we have to really think right now. But the good side of using it as a tool, I'd love it to be something that we don't worry about, but simply use as a tool, kind of like we all do the internet, because I think we all understand. Um, but it's the reaction to it that could be even worse. Peggy Noonan was worried about she she calls them the tech gods, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, whoever, you know, (laughs) developing this. And she wants to pause it. And, and, and I'm worried about her view on it because it's like, well, who do you want to turn this over to the political gods, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, their vision of the future is not going to be any better. Um, I kind of agree with you. This was a point that Noah Rothman made in national review on March 30th in an article. He -hmm. said, AI apocalypticism is thinly veiled fundraising pitch because they're asking for regulation, because they're asking for a robust public funding for technical AI safety research and well-resourced institutions for coping with political disruptions to democracy AI will cause. Wow. Maybe they're just fundraising. Well, fundraising and power grabbing. Um, so the 1984 scenario where if they could control this kind of thing, they can control what's true and not true. And it's, you know, so that apop- apocalyptic thinking, you really can, you, you can get so close to the Ministry of Information in 1984 with this stuff that it just, and I think underneath what you're saying, in fact, that's, I wanted to bring that up before, it's this, underlying assumptions that were made when they decided to develop this technology 
and um, how, how the underlying assumptions of the regulators are. They're, these assumptions are, we can control. Um, so it is very, um, you know, the, the answers it's giving are very um, woke, politically correct. Um, so clearly it was developed by people that had a political point of view. Um, and and uh, that, that just really bothers me. I mean, I don't care which political view you have. It just, we now have a technology that can essentially control the political narrative by controlling what everybody goes to to, to see what's true. Right. And, and I guess you could make that argument. I mean, if we scroll back into the 80s, 70s, 60s, when we were growing up, we had three networks, we had the major newspapers, and they had their narrative. And it was, you know, Walter Cronkite, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, a lot of that was big, bad data, too. Well, but the, whether it's whether they had really good journalistic ethics or not, which I believe they all did in those three network scenario, at least everything was edited and vetted on the way through. Whereas now everybody's a publisher and the, the, the bad actors can publish equally as broadly as the edited journalistic ethic ethics people can. So you're, you're making the argument for there needs to be a curator is that the fear there's no more curation <laughs> and you've trapped me because no <laughs> you know uh, this is this i'm so struggling with this because no i do not who's gonna decide i don't want to put it in the hands of some powerful government because it means government as soon as you say somebody has to oversee this right. uh, either government or corporate and the corporate government, you know, incestuous relationship is our problem here. So more competition would be better then. I, that's, you know, in the underlying political theory that you and I both share, absolutely. Competition is the ultimate equalizer. Um, but um, you think I can compete with my AI against your AI, whose AI is bigger? I, I, I actually don't see, I don't see how we're going to get to that. Well, there could, there, there are, there are competitors to Chat GPT. Yeah, right? Open AI is not the only thing out there. Yeah, but I mean, it's but, getting well, all the attention, but but uh -huh. that you know, so did MySpace. Well, right. It's funny that MySpace didn't. And it succeed, but um, yeah, Bard from uh, Google. Google's AI is all about Bard. There was a sixty minutes epi episode um, just just last week, I guess, and it kind of bothered me that the CEO of Google was talking about how, in response to a question, but it lied or it, they didn't mm. use the word lie, but it was wrong. It was yeah, these these are called hallucinations. And nobody really knows why it hallucinates, and nobody really knows what to do about it. As I, and he wasn't even challenged on that point. What do you mean you don't know what to do about that? How can we fix that? Is it fixable? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 this is a fascinating topic because it, it, are the tenets of free speech applicable to this? You know, we say with free speech, right? Sunshine's the best disinfectant. 
the cure for bad speech is more more speech because the free speech will ultimately win out. The good ideas will prevail. The truth right. will prevail. Right. Yeah. But and I want to believe um, that even if the let's say the political bent of this was all exactly my political beliefs is what it spewed. I want to believe that I would still be just as concerned Certainly. if it if it were just not balanced or not it just the, the bias is is the issue and it can okay. be biased so, by so you're not you're not worried about this the, you know these imminent extinction threats that we hear some people talk about with this technology or it's going to launch a nuclear missile or it's going to make we're going to turn everything into a paper clip that that's not your beef with this technology your well, beef maybe. is more about the the, the the ideas and the truth yeah i haven't gotten to that level yet i'm just still focused on what i can see okay well we'll get you to that level next uh next segment doug but fortunately we're up against our next break folks would like to remind you when i get a hold of me air ed send us an email to ask tsoe barisage.com and do check out our patreon show that patreon channel is now sponsored by 90 minds got 90 minds check them out at 90 minds.com and now a word from our sponsors Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are back on the Soul of Enterprise with Doug Sleeter. And Doug, I want to, to talk to you a little bit about uh, the paperclip problem. If this is an AI philosophy, I guess. It's been in in 
in, in the ether for quite some time. And the idea is that if you if you just give an AI, and this is a general AI, so similar to ChatGPT plus on steroids, because it also has to, have to have the ability to, to get outside of itself, uh, to say, listen, what we want you to do is make as many paper clips as you possibly can that it's going to go through the process of trying to make paperclips and use any and all resources that it can to make these paperclips, including lying to humans if it has to in order to make more paperclips. <laughs> right? So, uh, and it will just basically destroy the world in order to make paperclips. Is, is, that, is that one of the things that you are concerned about from a, that, that, that it could begin to grow outside of itself? Not an intelligence, because I'm not, I'm not ascribing intelligence to it, I'm just saying that if you give a full, if you give it just a specific task without a set of rules around it, it's just going to go haywire. Well, I think that's exactly what Elon is saying. It can do good, it can do bad when he's calling for regulation, which is again we talked about that. But I, I, uh, I think how do we preserve the ability for humans to control it um, if? Uh, or maybe getting other AIs to undo what one AI is doing. So that would even be maybe another war of AIs. Uh, this guy's making paper clips. I'm destroying paper clips. Um, we could we could task another one to, to destroy them or something. Um, and see how this there's sort of no end to these scenarios. Um, but. Actually, I think we should back up, back up a little bit because when you describe the paperclip, you're actually uh, assuming an easy assumption to make that it will actually have physical, it'll be connected to robotics and it will be able to physically do things. Right now, uh, it's just on the screen with words, it's language that it's spewing, not physical actions, but it won't be long before it's spewing physical actions tied to robotics and, and uh, building, um, uh, building things. So the paperclip is, is very conceivable. Um, but maybe that is underlying why I'm so concerned because it, it's gonna, it already convincingly tells me that it's a human and convinces the children in middle school that it wrote a perfect paper. And um, so it's already pretending to be human, which is, I think, the fundamental issue. Um, so well, now I don't know if you saw this, a a an AI bot, I think it was AI ChatGPT Foro, it, it actually uh, went and found Fiverr and hired Fiverr to get around the uh, uh, CAPTCHA screen. Okay. Yeah, and it even and was even asked by the human who was go doing it. You're not a robot, are you? And it lied and said, "No, I'm not a robot." <laughs> so therefore, we've already it's already invalidated the uh, the whole captcha world. Yeah, it, but well, it it attempted to by going to a human and yeah. hi hiring a human to do so because yeah. it figured out that it could do that through a s system. But here's where I want to come because I think that this is one of the things I think we, maybe we can, we can build this in and we don't have to slow down the development of it, but it absolutely can be something that should be at the, I think at the forefront of people who are developing this stuff. And this is the three laws of robotics that I, Isaac Asmanov posited in 1941, right? So this is how far ahead this guy was. And they, they are as follows, and I'm going to read them. They're from his short story, uh, Runaround. 
One, a robot may not injure a human being or through, ina- or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. That's the first rule. So that's the, it's got to be programmed with that rule. Two, a robot must obey the orders given by the human being, except where the orders would conflict with the first law. So there's a hierarchy to this. So it has to do what we tell it to do, but it can conflict with the first law, which is you can't do any harm. And the third is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Okay, so self-driving cars is the first thing that's going to blow that out of the water because it has to decide whether it's going to kill one motorcycle or, you know, you and I have talked about it that thing mm-hmm. before. On the, if, I, if I'm going to hit this wall, I have to swerve to prevent the, the accident. I'm going to go to the right. I'll hit one motorcycle and he'll die and probably I'll live and my passengers will live. But if I go to the left, there's a bus full of children and all of us will die together. So I, now what are you going to choose? And so they have to program that in to things like self-driving cars, which are essentially these AI things. Um, and this is... So it's almost so the Isaac Asimov rules cannot be achieved. Well, it it it, the, the, it may not, and I think where where you're saying is is that there are going to be certain choices that that have to be made. But that's true of humans too. Uh, MIT did do oh. a project, by the way, where one of the things that they did was was they they took you through these scenarios, and it was basically trolleyology on steroids, which is all right. of these trolley problems in right. sequence. But what it did then was it built a profile of you in your choices. And I think we could build a profile of you and your choices yeah. and you or put an that individual in, probably. Right. Put that into, into your car now, and say, you know, what if, what if, okay, I'm reading a book right now on the making of the atom bomb. It's called the general and the genius. It's about um, Oppenheimer and, um, Groves, the General Groves, and, you know, in two years they built the bomb and dropped it on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So right now they're just about to, it's all developed, it's tested, it's working. Um, and now they're, before they actually pick the targets, which they're having to do, there's these cities, or should we do it on this city that has a whole big population? This one has more military targets, this one has more whatever. And so they're going through, and this committee has to decide, which becomes government policy, uh, where now imagine where to drop it, how many to drop, if to drop, or maybe just do a demonstration drop out on the ocean so that they could see how powerful this thing is. Um, So, but pretend this was an AI task to end the war. And that was their task, end the war quickly and save as many lives as possible. So they developed a nuclear bomb and then they had to choose targets and they had to actually do it. And, um, you know, of course it's all history now, but imagine that it wasn't humans. Do you think an AI would have done the same thing that, that we did? I think it's possible an AI would have dropped a bomb over water and said, take a look at this first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> based on what it would have been fed for morality. Yeah, no, whatever, the, the, right? this, this, these are the challenges because it, it does it does come down to uh, the, the, the choice. Like, for example, you know, one of the things that, that, I, that I've talked about with, with folks is, is that what do we do with regard to AI and, and let's say planes? 
right? Um, we have who, who, the, the, the number one cause, the number one cause of, of, uh, of uh, airline crashes or problems is human, human beings, right? Human, human failure. So do we say to the AI, if the human is failing, you take over? Yeah. Right? A fairly good argument can be made for that. However, there's no AI that would have been written, at least at the time, that would have done what Chesley Sullenberger did, which was land the plane in the Hudson. Yep. What it would have tried to do is it would have tried to get back to, to the airport. Yeah. The airport or land in Teterboro and probably would have killed people on the ground doing so. And right. so what saved it was human judgment and morality, a combination mm-hmm. of the two. And creativity, because Sullenberger was able to come up with the, the creative solution of, I think I can bring this plane down in the, in the Hudson. Right. Um, but you actually might want to believe that because there was a whole bunch of calculations he was doing in his mind, based on his experience, there's a whole bunch going on in that brain. Mm-hmm. And he was calculating in real time, uh, maybe not precise distances and, you know, high uh, elevation, all that stuff. But he was doing what he could, what his experience taught him. Maybe if if the AI was able to actually calculate how many feet away uh, uh, that it couldn't land and, you know, maybe the AI would have done that. yeah. The, the question is, would it, would it have come up with the creative solution that was required? And, that, and that's where I think this, this is separated for me is I, I don't think that AI has demonstrated its ability to come up with to be creative. Yes, it is. It's a it's a big math problem. And yes, it can take the work of Salvador Dali and morph it with Ansel Adams, right? And and come up with some quote new picture, but it's it's just a, it's just a copy. It's just a morphing. It's just a squishing together of a mathematical calculation. It's not true creativity. It's not a new idea. Yeah. Well, there's another. Maybe this is part of creativity, but there's content of what is written or thoughts or 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 actions. The content, the actual the actual doing. But there's context that that these AIs don't have. Now, our minds and our experiences and our childhood memories is the context. Or you and I have had other conversations six years ago that you and I can remember that add context to how we're going to make a decision or follow a, a, a thought pattern or whatever. And uh, so it's so it's so impossible for the the AIs certainly today, and I'm not really sure in the long run, to achieve the right answers contextually. Um, So, um, you know, it doesn't know, well, Ron talked about, you know, there, you know, uh, what it won the Go competition, but it doesn't know what a Go board is, you know, or a Go piece. So this contextual piece i think is critical and that's what makes us human yep well we are up against our last break want to remind our listeners that you can contact us at asktsoe at verisage.com the website is the soul of enterprise where you have show notes previews to upcoming shows but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage (laughs) 
Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with our fourth interview with Doug Sleater. And Doug, um, I have heard accounts of lonely people developing emotional attachments and bonds to chat GPT. And this gets to your point about it's pretending to be human. Um, and you know, that, that journalist that had the dialogue with it about, no, you should leave your wife or you really don't love her. You, you probably read that one too. Um, is, is that, is that, does that concern you as well? Well, first I'm going to say, I, I, I bet that was all BS. I bet somebody just made that up. But uh, okay, let's assume it's true that it actually that it was trying to convince a guy to leave his wife. Uh, whatever. I'm not. I think the bigger point is: is it actually going to convince people that it is human? And um, so my test would be: would it? Would my dog friend up the AI of the future and consider it to be its master? Because I think a dog will see through it. But humans won't? Well, uh, yes, humans will. But the maybe it's a little easier to, I think it's a little, could it be that that, that, a, that a dog's mind is somewhat less sophisticated than ours? And so... If we could, you're, you're going to convince me it's it's really getting sentient if a dog would trust it. Um, but uh, I think I'll always be able to know. But I, I'm even doubting that. <laughs> but but I'm doubting it in 30 years. But the, frankly, everything is going so much faster than we ever thought. So. Uh, you know, in five years, will we actually be able to tell what was written by a bot versus not? Uh, I don't think so. Well, let me ask you this, and I didn't read this book. I've just read a review on it, but 
I always try and read the AI skeptics. Russ Roberts always has on an AI, you know, a few, there's a few AI skeptics that have written about autonomous cars. Like you said, will never happen. You're always going to need that human to intervene at some point when the system, uh, you know, goes haywire. But this book is called As Gods, A Moral History of the Genetic Age. And it's talking about, you know, Watson and Crick describing the, uh, the double helix and this is going to have unprecedented military, you know, opportunities for science and medicine. And yet biotechnology became the biggest money losing venture in history. Gene therapy has been mostly disappointing. Uh, CRISPR, no drugs have been developed from CRISPR yet. And that was hot for a long time, a few years back. I think it was pre COVID when it was getting all its press. Um, aren't these cautionary tales on the limits of what science can do? Yeah, and OJ got got off. Um, so it's kind of back to what's true. And even if you can prove scientifically something is true, is it? Does that mean it's true? So DNA, um, and and is it true? Being true, is it economically important? So these uh, these new drugs or whatever that you're saying that it could develop. A, I guess for some reason, I don't know enough about that, but I bet there's an economic reason why those things aren't um, successful economically. Um, like the Concord is, is another great example, right? The Concord was just yeah. an economic failure. They just couldn't get it right. Couldn't get the price right. And it was too right. costly. But somebody's working on that again, by the way. Yes, I know. I can't wait. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Denver. Yes, I can't wait. How do you how do you get over that problem? <laughs> uh, but, but 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 it's part of we 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 do overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate it in the long term right. to some degree. Yes. I, I really think this is why I said I think it's 30 years, but then I corrected myself immediately, thinking, well, 30 might be three, because it's just going so much faster. And these kinds of things are the accelerators that are that are making us all question kind of everything, questioning education. Uh, I'm on the board of a college uh, business department, and we're talking about what classes we're going to teach. And <laughs> I mean, it's kind of I sit there and I pinch myself thinking, oh, my God, we're talking about courseware that we're going to give to late mid mid to late teenagers and early 20 somethings um, on you know Microsoft Word let's say <laughs> or and, and the assumption is that we have to teach these things that everybody knows because they grew up um, and um, but so that's that uh, I've creating a curriculum that is relevant for our students today is just like I I'm baffled. Uh, there's only so many classroom hours. The kids don't want to come to school. They want to do it all online. But then we think that they need to be in school because there's the human interaction thing that we're all that is part of education that we want to preserve. Um, but that's us humans thinking that we need to preserve that because, you know, we're in a room on a committee. Uh, so we're not really thinking, where is it all going? And therefore, what do these kids really want to learn? How are they going to learn? How will they learn? Will they just think it's all BS? Because, like, I'm sure they think learning a word processor is 
pretty much BS. Nobody, uh, nobody needs to do that. Uh, uh, at least not in school. Let me, let um, me drop this on you. Uh, Gary Marcus is a scientist and best-selling author. He's an entrepreneur and he's got a podcast called humans versus machines. And he wrote a Substack recently about GPT five, the next iteration. He said, don't worry, this won't get, this won't give us or China nuclear fusion, nanotech or starships. It, he says, GPT regurgitates ideas. It doesn't invent them. It goes it back to Ed's point. Yeah, doesn't it re re simply regurgitate language? Just simply yeah. language. Constructs. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So I don't really even think they're ideas. They're just constructs of, well, and, and Ed showed me an example of doing something in the voice of Dr. Seuss. It was just. Right, so, right. So there's context, though, actually. We should give it a little credit for context. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, even though I don't think it really has context, uh, but it ha it has some sort of algorithmic creations of of what we ask it to do. But um, I'm not sure that answered your question. But I, I you know, I, it 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 it's kind of it, and it ties with your data point and and even knowledge to some extent. I mean, let's face it, data and knowledge both are about the past. It's, it's entrepreneurial creativity and, and you know innovation that determines the future. So yes. as bad as all this stuff might be, it can't really determine the future. It can't change the course of the future like, say, an entrepreneur can because it only has data and knowledge at, the ba at most knowledge. Yes. Well, that's... Uh, um, uh, <sighs> George Gilder's point. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, Innovation, uh, creativity, take us by surprise. Uh, EMC squared. Um, <laughs> Einstein, that guy. Einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge. The, yeah, that, yes, exactly. That, yeah. And, and, and you know, crazy. and back to Rabbi Lappin, he's not worried about any of this because he says it doesn't have a soul. That's right. Soul, imagination, creativity, those are, and humanity. Those, what is a human? What is sentient right. thought? So, excellent. Well, Doug, this has been fantastic. Thanks for coming back for the fourth time. We'll definitely have you back to see, you know, talk about how this is unfolding, and it's getting a lot of hype, that's for sure. Um, but thank you so much. And Ed, what do we have next week? Next week, we're going to be talking with Joe Woodard. Oh, wow. Okay, great. We get a two for then. I'll see you <laughs> in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, that's noon Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.